0: On this week's edition of Talkin' Cinema, I will be discussing the 1992 classic Disney film Aladdin and how the film, almost 30 years later, remains ever so timeless. All this and more on this week's edition of Talkin' Cinema. Welcome to another fun-filled episode of Talking Cinema with your host, that's myself, Christoph Hankerson. And before we get to the main event discussion of today, which will be Aladdin, I, I just have to take the time out and say something. So, on Sunday, something very special happened. Yes, it was Mother's Day, I realized that, and I hope each and every one of you that are listening to this podcast still have your mothers here, did something special for them. And treated them like the queens that they are for bringing you into this world. Okay, I get that. Mother's Day was Sunday. But something else pretty important to my life. Celebrated a year. If you're wondering what I'm talking about. I, it's the podcast. Yes. One year ago today, this past Sunday. it was I recorded on a Saturday, May 9th, 2020. I was I was new to the whole podcasting gig. I had no experience. For years I had talked about and discussed the idea of doing a podcast. Various because I'm interested in a variety of different things, various different subjects came to my mind. Sports, wrestling, movies ended up being the top 3. Specifically, if we're going to get real specific, it was base it was going to be baseball wrestling or movies. I knew I was going to do a podcast in one of those three areas because those are probably three of my biggest obsessions. And, and I ended up going with movies because on the on the former two subjects, there are so many great podcasts out there, baseball and wrestling that I listen to, the people who are know way more than I do is just a fan. I said to myself, there's not enough good movie podcasts out there. Let's make a movie-themed podcast. And I did it. I And the rest, as they say, is history. Believe it or not, I believe this is the 39th episode of Talking Cinema. So we're getting real close to the half. We're getting close to the 50, which is halfway to 100. And all I have to say, for those of you that have enjoyed listening to this podcast, all I have to say is thank you. Thank you. you no, know, I've, we've got a long way to go and we're not quite where I want to be as far as listeners go. And you know, I want, I want this thing to get really big, but for those of you that have loyally and faithfully listened over the last several weeks, excuse me, last year, I just, I don't know. I just want to say thank you. And hopefully as we continue to As I continue to grow the audience, as I continue to give you fresh new content each and every week, that you will continue to share the word with your friends and family members that enjoy movies and are seeking to be both entertained and informed because those are the two key goals. The goal of talking cinema is twofold. It's to both entertain you and to inform you about various aspects of cinema that you might not have been aware of. Any other way. And I firmly believe that I've done that. And I can't wait to see where this podcast goes from here as we're one year down. And hopefully, many, many, many more fun filled episodes of the show to go. We're just getting started here at Talking but We are literally just getting started. All those plans that I talked about at the beginning of the year, they are going to happen. A website will be developed. We will start going live with this thing eventually before the year is out, you will see my voice. You're not only just gonna hear me, you will see my voice. Excuse me, you will see my face. Why did I see my voice? You will not only hear my voice, but you'll see my face as well. And it's gonna be a blast. I I look forward to this. This this is just a little fun little hobby that I picked up. And I've really loved just finally giving myself a creative outlet to put my opinions out on what I think about films to to the rest of the world. And the response I've heard from those of you that listen has been overwhelmingly positive. Once again, if you have any constructive criticism as to how the show can get better, feel free to email me, uh, at lowercase, Christoph, H seven at gmail.com. Once again, that's Christoph, H seven lowercase, K R I S T O F F H seven at gmail.com. Feel free to, Okay, maybe not all of you come at once, but email me, give me any suggestions. Also, for those of you that follow the podcast, I'm on Facebook, haven't gotten Twitter and Instagram figured out just yet, but I am on Facebook. Feel free to message me, Not maybe not my personal Facebook account, but the account for the show, and I will take those suggestions whether it be and it doesn't even just have to be constructive criticism it can be anything you want to talk about anything you want to hear me talk about you know I'm I'm open to that. I'm open to that because I like any great entertainer whether whether it be Walt Disney or Vince McMahon or Mr. Rogers or you know, P.T. Barnum you know you, you name all the great entertainers in the world but one thing that they all, had slash have in common, had for those that have passed away, and have for those that are still living, is that they are all, they give the people what they want. And that is what I wanna do for you guys here at Talking Cinema. I wanna give you the best listening experience possible. I wanna give you what you wanna hear. So the information is out there, and before we segue to Aladdin, before I get emotional, if you enjoyed, If you've enjoyed what you've listened to over the past year, or however long you've been listening to the podcast, I know there's. I check the numbers constantly, almost daily. Actually, I feel like there's people that are discovering this podcast every day, every month, every every week. Have new listeners joining the Talking Cinema family, as I like to say. And if you enjoy what you listen to, feel free to subscribe. To the podcast, or I'm on all the major podcasting platforms: Apple Podcasts, Google Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm on that platform. Hit subscribe, and these new episodes will be in your inbox every single week. I'd like to hit them Wednesday at noon. All right, folks. Well, without any further ado, I know that was a very long introduction, but it had to be said. I had to give credit where credit was due. That's all to of the fans. All right. Let's start talking about Aladdin. So this is part three of our discussion on Disney Renaissance. Previous two weeks of episodes had been the Little Mermaid, Being the Beast. Last week, you might have noticed that there was not an episode. And the reason for that, I have had a lot of, not negative, but a lot of really good things happen in my life. A lot of personal things. So it's caused me to be busy to the point where I really didn't have much time. I know it was May the 4th. And some of you that follow me on Facebook are like, "You had time to make a picture. You had time to do this or the other. Why didn't you record an episode?" I just gave myself a personal week off because it was Star Wars Day. I, you know, I had the day off from work. Star Wars Day. You know, I had some other stuff going on. I was just saying, you know what? I'm not gonna try to record another episode. We're just gonna take the week off. So here we are with part three, Disney Renaissance, and we're gonna be talking about. The first Disney film I can vividly remember being obsessed with, it turns 30 next year, is the 1992 is the animated classic Aladdin, which was the at that point in time it was the 31st animated feature in the Walt Disney canon of animated features, the official canon. And the film was released on November 25th. 1992, so it's probably around Thanksgiving weekend of that specific year. And in the box office, it made over $500 million worldwide, adjusted for inflation. For 2021 $20, dollars, that's probably close to a billion dollars You adjusted for inflation. I didn't do the numbers, but it's close to that much. And it made that much money on a $28 million budget. So Disney, it's 1992. They are flying high with success. Little Mermaid was a success, but as as you'll find out, every film seemingly got bigger and bigger and bigger than the next one, Little Mermaid. It was a great place, no pun intended, for the animators and directors to get their feet wet. They can't stop there. They literally have to keep working and keep moving forward to create, to quote Walt Disney. So they did it two years later with Beauty and the Beast after the Rescuers Down Under was a bit of a letdown, being Disney's first major sequel for an animated film that was released in theaters. 1990, 91, Beauty and the Beast, which is still universally regarded as the one of the greatest Disney films of all time, and certainly is one of the greatest animated films of all time. It made history being the first animated film to be nominated for a Best Picture Oscar. Of course, now, in 2021, animated films have their own category, but this was the first time that, you know, because back then, you had to go, if you wanted to be nominated for Best Picture, you had to compete with the big dogs, and Beauty and the Beast proved, unlike any other film before it, that it could swim with the sharks. It could compete with the likes of Silence and Lambs and JFK and all the other various films that were nominated in that specific year and didn't win. But for it to have been nominated, I've gone up against those films, because I have seen, I think I saw, I've, I have seen Silence and Lambs and JFK, and I did see the other. There were two other nominations, usually five nominations in that category, per category, actually. Not just Best Picture, but all the various categories in the Academy Awards. Saw the other films. And I can honestly say Sons of Lambs* definitely deserved it. But here we are. 1992, Disney is white hot with success. And they're ready to keep it moving. And boy, did they ever keep it moving with Aladdin after two Disney princess movies were successful. They said to themselves, let's feature a Disney princess in here in the form of Princess Jasmine, but let's not make the story all about her. Sure, she will be a main featured character, but let's go in the direction of having a male protagonist for once, because the boys have to have toys to play with too. After all, come on, as good as Little Mermaid and Beauty and Beast are, if you're a boy going to go watch these movies, sure you might like it, but you don't have any merchandise to play with. You know, if you're a boy, you're not going to ask for a Little Mermaid or Beauty and the Beast toy because it's more than likely going to be Belle or Ariel. It's a featured character. Sure, they're great supporting characters, but at the end of the day, typically they were made into Barbie dolls along with the main character in both of those respective films. So in reality, you know, when you're a boy, it's like, oh man, why don't I have anything to play with? Except for maybe the Burger King toys. I mean, you can't really get out of that Burger King Get your get your kids' meal, get your get your toy, and you've got that. Okay, that's fine. Your parents paid for the food and it came with a toy. Great. But you want something more than that when you're a guy. And Aladdin actually gave boys toys to play with, because there was a main the main character was a guy. So not only did it give boys something to play with, it also gave them. You know, you you can have merchandise. I mean, there's backpacks and lunchboxes and folders and pencils and video games and all these other ways that Disney marketed itself back in the 90s. I mean, it wasn't just Disney, but other companies followed suit, too. If you remember a few years earlier, when the first Batman movie came out in 89 with Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson, that movie was heavily marketed with merchandise from Warner Brothers. Then a few years About a year later, when Dick Tracy came out, same thing. Then The Rocketeer in 91. Even though that wasn't an animated feature, Disney did do a fair amount of marketing to sell the film to little boys. Well, Aladdin was finally that attempt to do that in animated form, and they succeeded big time. And not only did the boys win, but the girls even had someone to play with, as Princess Jasmine, who is proven to be one of the more popular Disney princesses of all time, had her fair share of merchandise back then and still has her fair share of merchandise today she is still probably one of the more prominent Disney princesses out there. And you got to think about this. Jasmine, Belle, Ariel, and all the other princesses that follow, you know, in the modern era you have. Tiana, Rapunzel, Merida from Brave. All of them. And Moana, even a little bit more recently. I would say anybody who grew up Watching Disney movies in the 90s, you know, would say if you were to ask them who their favorite Disney princess is, well, it might be one of the last four that I mentioned because they, they, those four, I mean, those are all Princess and the Frog, Tangled, Moana, and Brave are all really good movies, in my opinion. All really good movies and very rewatchable, especially Brave, not quite. Especially Princess and the Frog, Tangled, and Moana. But if you ask anyone who their favorite Disney princess is, likely, I mean, yeah, some people are still like old school and really love Snow White, Cinderella, and Aurora because of their classic appeal. But honestly, they had very little character development. All three of those princesses were just, for a main character, for a main story to be revolving around you, they were pretty flat one-dimensional. Bell, Ariel, and Jasmine all had layers to their personality. They were all very well developed. And I think a lot of that, especially when you look at Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin, a lot of that had to do with the fact that they had, a, had an actual screenwriter, an actual sp- person write a script and a screenplay for this movie. In addition to the storyboarding and all the, the various steps and stages that an animated film goes through, Linda Wolverton did a brilliant job with Beauty and the Beast and... Even drafts a little bit of Aladdin as well. And so you have that. You have that factor. And before we discuss a little bit of the film, just kind of rattle off some trivia for you. So we all know that Aladdin is credited by a lot of film critics, and a lot of scholars, and fans alike as being the first Disney film to use celebrity voice actors. I mean, you look at Robin Williams' performance in here, it's The Genie. It's still one of the greatest celebrity performances of all time. And in fact, because Robin Williams was the master improviser, I mean, you look at his stand-up routine, you look at his time at Mork and, and Mini, you look at his roles in live-action films like Good Morning Vietnam, Dead Poet Society, Mrs. Doubtfire. You know, you look at these films and you really see, I feel like those three I just mentioned are the best of his career. But you look at that, and he implements that in the lab. He did so much improvising in this movie that get this, folks, they had around 16 16 hours of material to work from. That is a lot of improvising. I mean, obviously they can only have so much in this movie, but the fact that Robin Williams, so talented, God rest his soul, I can't believe it's been almost seven years since we lost him, but the fact that he was so talented that he recorded 16 hours of comedic material for the filmmakers and the writers to, to work with and the fact that they had to kind of will it down Maybe an hour and a half. All the film is on an hour and a half, but you know, however much the genie spoke in the film, that's incredible. That's talent right there. Um, another fun thing that so a lot of you obviously know that the opening song, the opening number in Latin, was Arabian Nights, and it was sung by Robin Williams, actually, who played the voice of the narrator. And originally when the film was released in theaters back in 92, there was a line in the film that said where they cut off your ear, if they don't like your face, it's barbaric, but hey, it's home. It was deemed, when you think about it, due to the cultural aspects of Arab culture, it was deemed very racist and offensive by several Arab American groups because they had to say because they were like, okay, we're not all like that. We don't all chop people's ears and other limbs of their body off. That's just that's just wrong for you to stereotype us that way. So in an effort to appease the Arab Americans, the filmmakers is, came to a mutual decision that it would be best to change the line to where it's flat and immense. And the heat is intense and the finish is it, barbaric. But hey, it's home. And I think we were better off for that. Okay, so Patrick Stewart, who obviously has a very powerful voice. I mean, come on, you did the narration for Star Trek The Next Generation. So, and among other things, he... was the studio's top choice to do Jafar, and fortunately because TNG had a few more seasons left, I think they were probably filming around season five or six at this point. Because of how busy his schedule he had with Star Trek, he had to turn it down, and believe it or not, even though he'd been offered other Disney roles in the past, Patrick Stewart has said that turning the role of Jafar down is the biggest regret of his entire career. I mean, could you imagine that? Patrick Stewart played Jean-Luc Picard for seven seasons, Star Trek The Next Generation, four movies, and he's got his own show now which with a second season on the way next year. Probably his most iconic screen role because he is a stage actor. And then he played Professor X in the X-Men films. Can you imagine two great heroes and an iconic Disney villain under his on his resume? I mean, his resume is still great with those two iconic roles, but I can understand where the Rick comes in because he could have played a Disney villain. But he did eventually get to do some voice work and he did very well but that is he always does but aside from patrick stewart tim curry which (laughs) he's auditioned I, i i believe he's gone he's one of the only actors probably in history that has auditioned twice for a role so he auditioned for judge doom in 88 for whom framed roger rabbit that role obviously automatically went to christopher lloyd and he auditioned for scar in the latin or, excuse me, Scar and The Lion King, which came out after this. So we'll talk about that for next week's episode. He's got to be one of the only actors in history that has scared the producers, terrified them twice with all his additions. Wow. What a talent. But anyways, Tim Curry, Kelsey Grammer, Frazier himself, John Hurt, Christopher Lloyd, who I just mentioned, like Judge Newman for The Rabbit. And Pat Stewart's good friend, Ian McKellen. They were also all considered to voice Not bad choices. Another interesting casting choice, before Gilbert Gottfried was casting the role, the top two, you're gonna get this, the top two considerations that they had in mind were Danny DeVito and Joe Pesci. I believe Danny DeVito had some scheduling conflicts with, like, Batman Returns and some other things, so he wasn't able to do voice Viago and Joe Pesci probably was filming Home Alone so he probably couldn't find any time to do it as well so I mean but we got a great awesome performance from, from Gilbert Gottfried what an icon and, and with Jafar Jonathan Freeman who was a very talented stage actor did a wonderful job voicing the character of Jafar and you know because Comic Cons are so popular and it's not just relegated to sci-fi, even though Star Trek, Star Wars, and various sci-fi franchises started Comic Cons, because they're so popular, they've gone on to branch out. And you know, yeah, sure, the mainstays, you know, the Star Trek and Star Wars and actors from like different sci-fi movies and TV shows, they'll be at the cons. But now it's come it's got to a point where voice actors have made various appearances at cons over the last 10 to 15 years. And the cast of Aladdin had a reunion in Richmond about a year ago. And, boy, I didn't get to go, but I watched the panel. And I said, man, that was awesome. I believe it was Jonathan Freeman, Gilbert Gottfried, who were obviously Jafar Iago, um, Scott Weiner, the voice of Aladdin, Linda, Linda Larkin, voice of Princess Jasmine. And I believe Jim Cummings or Frank Welker, one of the two, was there. But I know five members of the Latin cast Jim Cummings, obviously Walsh Razul and Frank Walker was a boo. But man, that's one photo op that I am looking forward to having. If they if I if I'm fortunate and blessed enough, now that the world is open back up again, if I'm fortunate and blessed enough to have the opportunity to meet the cast of Aladdin, get their autographs, but get that photo op. Oh boy. It'll be one of the greatest I've ever had. Now, we're talking about Jafar, we're talking about Iago. Originally, he was going to be a lot more hot-tempered and hot-headed. Think Hades from Hercules, which would come out about five years later, 97. Jafar was going to be that, and Iago was going to be more suave, arrogant, debonair, British, French type of villain. Think, think, think like a, a James Bond type villain, or maybe a Timothy dalton esque you know, very, very suave and debonair that way. That's what Iago was going to be. But eventually the filmmakers thought it'd be best to have the main villain be more menacing. And I can't agree more. So the roles were suave. And honestly, I think it worked out much better that way. You know, when I talk about, when I do a compare and contrast of the 92 classic versus the 2019 remake, as much as I love Will Smith and his performance as Genie, and I know Robin Williams would have been proud and would have given his blessing to it had he been alive to actually watch it. That aside, which these are the best part of that movie. I my biggest main problem with the new version of Aladdin, Jafar was not menacing enough. I mean that is literally the main character trait that the, that Jonathan Freeman brought to the role in ninety two, and the fact that he sound like a prebucent twelve year old, very whiny and eh oh, you know gonna do it my way instead of you know excellent work, Iago. You are late. Ah, on a scale of 1 to 10, you are an 11. You know, Instead of getting that Jafar, who gave us all those wonderful, iconic moments because of how brooding and menacing he was, I think that detracted a lot from the film's performance. Decent film. That's one of the detractors. Still a decent film, but that's one thing I'm glad that the animators got right they made Jafar menacing and they made him iconic they made him memorable Jafar if you ask any f- Disney fan and they in the top 10 Disney villains of all time any kid i would I would just say almost every kid that grew up in the 90s watching Disney movies cuz that was one of the staples of our childhoods was Disney movies if you ask any kid that grew up back then top 10 favorite villains Jafar will be on almost every kid's list Jafar Is in my top five list. If you want to get real nitty gritty, he's not just my top 10, he's in my top five. Because, I mean, when you talk the heyday of the Disney Renaissance, a big reason why Disney films were so good and were so popular, were so marketable, was because of the villains. And may I just take the time to say, I am so glad with all the princess marketing there is out there, I'm so glad that the villains are getting their just desserts now. I mean, you got to give the devil's due, and you know there's people out there like myself who really, really love the villains. You know, We think they deserve to be on all the t-shirts, and the mugs, and the lunchboxes, and the hats, and deserve all the buttons and pens in the world. Posters. All the ways that they've marketed Disney princesses over the last 15, 20 plus years. The villains have deserved the same treatment, and I'm so glad they're getting So obviously Aladdin was a major success in the box office when it was released on home video a year later in October of 93, it was the highest selling videotape of all time at the time until about a year and a half later when Lion King came out on VHS in March of 95, it was surpassed by Lion King. So it's like Disney, Disney's just doing nothing but competing with and outdoing themselves with each and every subsequent theatrical and eventually home video release of all their films. But why, what is it about Aladdin? What is it about Aladdin that, you know, is the reason why so many people love the film. I think there's many reasons. Like just about every single film in this Disney Renaissance period, Aladdin was a musical. And with a musical, why you, unless you're a super fan, why you might not have every single lyric of every single song memorized. There are enough songs in this movie to where you, you think to yourself, oh yeah, Aladdin, whole new world. One Jump Ahead, Friend Like Me, Prince Ali. Okay, I would say maybe not so much One Jump Ahead, even though that was the film's opening, well, not really opening number, it was the film's second number. Whole New World, Prince Ali, and Friend Like Me are probably the songs that the movie's most noted for. I mean, Whole New World is, you know, that's where Aladdin and Jasmine kind of they have the magical magic carpet ride and discover that they truly have feelings for one another. And Aladdin's trying oh so hard to keep up this whole Prince of Boo Boo act. And Jasmine's kind of seeing through it. If you didn't really notice, if you notice how she looks at him, she's like, okay, I know you're hiding something, but what is it? Finds out eventually. But, you know, whole new world. And then obviously you have the show stopping, two show stopping numbers. So most Disney movies have that one. Aladdin, in my opinion, had two. Big show-stopping numbers. I mean, Little Mermaid has Under Sea, Beauty and the Beast is Beer Guest, Lion King its Circle of Life, Hunchback has Topsy Turvy, Aladdin had two, Aladdin had Prince Ali and Friend Like Me, which Robin Williams truly stole the show in those. And you know, you just, you know, you really, you just, I don't know, you just can't, you can't put a price on something. So yeah. But yeah, the music, obviously the characters, I mean, I, I obviously I, I I've sung Jafar's praises, but you know, Genie is another iconic character. I mean, Genie's probably a lot of people's favorite Disney characters or one of their favorite Disney characters and I mean, he set the ground for what we would see and everything else. I mean, Eddie Murphy's performance in Shrek, Antonio Banderas's performance as Puss in Boots, obviously Eddie Murphy was Donkey. And you just think of every single celebrity performance, not just in Disney, but DreamWorks and all the other companies. It's credited to Robin Williams' iconic performance as Genie. I mean, without it, we wouldn't have gotten all that. So there's that factor. And then just, I don't know, just the timeless lesson of being yourself no matter what. You don't – this is something all of us guys I feel like can take away from this movie. Probably didn't think about it much back then, but, you know, for those of us that are older – perhaps maybe still single out there and looking for the right one. Don't change anything about yourself. Unless it's a very serious character, flow, don't change anything about yourself. Don't lie to yourself to make a girl like you. She will like you for who you are. Be yourself to quote the genie. And, yep, like pretty much every other film of the Renaissance period, we will still be watching Aladdin years and years from now. I just know it. Can't believe the movie's going to be 30 next year. All right, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back to wrap things up right after this. Well, that's all the time we have for our show this week. For talking Cinema, this is your host, Christoph Hankerson, saying goodbye, and we'll see you next week.